So uh, I need to confess something that may surprise you. This may be super surprising for those of you who uh, know me oh so well, and that is that I from time to time suffer from something called imposter syndrome. Nobody here has heard of that, right? Well, imposter syndrome is a persistent feeling that you are just not good enough, that you're inadequate, a fraud, a fake, or in other words, it's a struggle with uh, self-esteem. And for me, it often comes in times when I'm comparing myself to others. When I see what others have done and simultaneously discount my own accomplishments. I look to the heroes of faith and justice and equity and equality and morality and I see great things that some of these have done by the age of 35 and I look at myself and I'm like, well, what have I done? I've done so very little. I mean, I've done things, but really, who am I? I mean, really. I've spent most of my life kind of on the cusp of exceptional, but feel like I'm just below the line of what is exceptional. I feel like at times others have been around, around me, have excelled and done great things, and I just look around and go, where am I? And so as I head through my days, I have this fear in the back of my head that this time will be the time where I'm going to get called out, where I'm going to get called a fraud, where everyone will know that I have no idea what I am doing. Nobody in this room has ever felt that feeling before, have you? Well. Mostly, I believe that these things are not true. Mostly. But there's still a part of me that really struggles with thoughts just like that all the time. Let me say, I, the first, uh, uh, I don't know, dozen or so times I preached, which took about a year, two years or so to get accomplished that many sermons. Every time I got up here, I was like, oh my gosh, they want me to say something from this pulpit, and I'm supposed to say things and act like I know things, and I don't know anything. Three years ago, I was working on a cruise ship. What am I doing in a pulpit? And yet, here I am. Those feelings, for most of us, creep up all the time, and especially in today's world, because today, not only am I aware of what those close to me are doing, but I can see everyone's newsfeed. Like, there's this one guy that I went to college with. He was only a year behind me, and he was just elected a state senator in Georgia after serving two terms in the state house. And I'm like, wow, he's younger than me, and he's serving in his second elected office, and he's also an attorney, and he's married with a kid. Those are things I, well, I have a couple of those things, but not, well, one of them anyway. <laughs> what am I doing? It's so, and it's easy, because really, okay, here's the real truth, though. When you put me side by side with this guy, we're just doing different things. I preach every Sunday. He gives up give speeches on the floor of the Georgia House and Senate now. Uh, we do different things. And it's really weird to try and compare myself because 
we're both accomplishing things in our own fields and in our own ways. And yet, I still have that feeling of like, but what am I doing? And Facebook likes to remind me all the time, so-and-so just got a promotion, so-and-so just got a raise, so-and-so just did this great thing. Oh, look at the house they just bought. Man. Then I remind myself I live in D.C., so a tiny house costs a bunch. So that's a whole other issue, though. So it's, it's easy to get into this feeling, though, into this trap of uh, what we call imposter syndrome, of feeling like I'm not good enough and I can't be good enough. And it's not just me or maybe folks at AU. It's actually pretty broadly experienced. Um, so I, I came up with three examples. One is of an Episcopal priest who says, like many other high-achieving women, I often experience the phenomenon of imposter syndrome. Despite successfully navigating a rigorous discernment process for the priesthood and graduating from an academically challenging divinity school, at times I feel like it was all a mistake. Someday the other shoe will drop and my bishop or clergy colleagues or parishioners will realize that I'm not called to be a priest, that I'm a fraud. If my congregation is growing in numbers and financial giving, it must have less to do with my gifts and skills as a leader and more to do with chance or changing community demographics. And again, that goes kind of how I feel. And there was a couple others that I just had to add in because I found them almost humorous in the amount of uh, imposter syndrome affecting everybody. Uh, so Madonna has actually has a quote about imposter syndrome. Now, one thing to know about Madonna, as I was reading this article that mentioned her, she's estimated worth $800 million. Okay, I knew she was worth a lot of money. $800 million is almost a billion dollars. She is worth almost a billion dollars. And Madonna suffers from fear of being mediocre. Madonna, so iconic she only needs one name. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, another one is someone who's, you know, definitely was a little mediocre in his field, uh, Albert Einstein. He said, the exaggerated esteem of which, uh, the exaggerated esteem in, my, in which my life work is held makes me very ill at ease. I feel compelled to think of myself as an involuntary swindler. Albert Einstein, one of the smartest people who's probably ever lived. Madonna, me, I probably should definitely fit in that category, <laughs> right? Wait, no, I'm ruining my imposter syndrome here. Um, which, is, which is higher, my ego or my imposter syndrome? Uh, so it's something that affects lots and lots of people. And it, I imagine it affects lots of people in different ways throughout our lives. Because every time you move up somewhere, there's always another bar to reach. And there's probably someone else who's a bar higher. There's very few people who reach a point in any particular, because even when you reach a certain point in a field, there's always other folks doing things. There's always the, what I could be doing. All of us get to experience this wonderful thing called imposter syndrome. It's just something about us where we don't feel powerful. Now, 
I'm bringing this up today because it's Easter tide, it's the Easter season, and in particular, we're looking at the beginning of Acts in the early church and the foundations of what brought us to be in this place today. This early Christian group that uh, was kind of a ragtag group of followers of Christ, and they were picking up ministry from Jesus himself taking on the work of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit after, uh, after Pentecost, and still less than perfect. This group of folks, if you'll remember from the Gospels, were, you know, sometimes confused. They sometimes just didn't understand. Sometimes they were just flat out wrong. These are the people that Jesus handed the ministry over to. Folks just like me, and like you, I would uh, beg to guess. Uh, they were still the same people. They were those same people taking on this important work of Jesus' ministry. Now, I can also add, having my um, predecessor in the office next door, anytime you follow anybody, and especially if you know they're nearby, it's intimidating because you're like, oh my gosh, what if they think I'm killing everything and doing everything the exact opposite they would do and it's the worst thing in the world and they hate what I'm doing. So you get those feelings. Now, I want you to imagine being one of the disciples. Who are they following in directly? Jesus. Peter and the other disciples are following directly in the footsteps of Jesus, which sounds great in principle, but imagine Jesus was there doing it one day, and 50 days later, after Pentecost, you are now the one doing it. You are now the one responsible for sharing the good news to all the world, as Jesus told them right before he ascended into heaven. You are. And I realize that all of us are actually continue to inherit that, that mantle of responsibility. All of us continue to have that, but they didn't just inherit it from another person because, you know, we've been inheriting it now for two millennia. They inherited it from Jesus. These were the early leaders of the church. Peter the Rock. Or should I say, Peter the denier, because also just remember that just before the crucifixion, Peter, who was the rock, became Peter the denier, because he denied Christ just before he was crucified. Peter, this imperfect disciple, this disciple who, um, at the uh, scene of Jesus' arrest, decided he would cut off a, a soldier's ear, and Jesus had to perform a miracle right there, because... Peter cut off a guy's ear. I mean, this same Peter who tried to deny Jesus the opportunity to serve him in one of his last opportunities to do so, this is who Jesus said, I will build my church on, the rock I will build my church on. This is Peter. Now, not just Peter the disciple. He's Peter and eventually will become known as Peter the first pope. Now, I don't think they called him that then, but that was kind of his role at the time. He was the leader of the church. He became the leader of this group of people. And not only that, was he, going, he was going out and giving these sermons, and thousands were coming to the faith. So not only was he in this small group a leader, but he was becoming a leader of this massive group. 
And this is the Peter that we find in our text this evening. This Peter who I, I assume has gained some confidence, but I also have a strong feeling in the back of his head remembers I am Peter the denier. I'm Peter who couldn't cut it when Jesus needed me the most. I'm Peter who has the full weight of the church and dear God, someday they're going to figure out I'm not Jesus because he wasn't Jesus. I can imagine Peter actually saying, but who am I to be Jesus' replacement here on earth? Who am I to fill in for Jesus? But Peter keeps going out and he keeps doing these things. He starts preaching and teaching. And then one day, him and John are on their way to the temple to pray. Now, I imagine this is uh, like any other day, and they're just going about their business. And they, well, as they're doing that, they encounter this man who they've probably seen many times before because this is what he did for a living. He was unable to walk, and therefore he had no way to earn a living. And so this man hung out at the gate where he could ask people to give whatever they could so that he might be able to survive, so that he might be able to have food for the day. This man who is asking for literally people to save him. And here come Peter and John, and they're walking by. I also imagine um, I can relate very well as a, as a pastor who uh, often doesn't have money on me, slash my amounts of money is questionable. And I can imagine as Peter and John are walking there, and this guy's like, can you give me anything? Can you give me anything? Everyone who walks by, and then he gets to Peter, Peter and John get to him, and he, he asks, do you have anything? And they... I read some inflection to this, but I kind of think Peter goes, look at us. Do we look like the kind of people who have something to give to you? Look at us. And then I also am, as I further analyze Peter, I hear Peter saying, look at us. Look at me. What do I have to give? I can't. I can't give you enough to live off of. Even if I had money on me, what can I give you? What can I give? And then something happens. Now, the text doesn't give us a lot of context on what actually was going on in Peter's mind, so a lot of this is my speculation. But what we have is Peter saying, look at us. I have no silver or gold, but I'm going to give you something better. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And then helps the man get up, and he walks. This miracle happens. Because Peter took a big leap of faith. Peter, who probably had real doubts in that moment, he's like, I'm going to do this, God. I know you're asking me to do this, but I, please, God, make this work. Because if it doesn't, I'm going to look really foolish. Dear God, I'm believing hard. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the man does. And this miracle happens because Peter got out of the way of Peter's own way and did this miraculous thing in the name of Jesus. Peter, the denier. Peter, the disciple who often couldn't get it all figured out. 
Peter, who was probably a lot like us, struggling with who am I to be the hands and feet of Christ, Peter changed someone's life. You know, one of the real problems of imposter syndrome is when we allow it to hold us back. We let it hold us back from doing things that God is calling us to do, to make differences in the world that we wouldn't make otherwise. And it's because it's telling us that we're not good enough, that we're not gifted, that we have nothing to offer. But God tells us the exact opposite. When we realize that each of us have been given gifts, we can see that there's a power inside of each of us. There's a power deep inside of us given to us by God to change the world around us. It takes setting aside that voice inside of us that reminds us of all of our past mistakes, all of our failures, our sins, our insecurities, and turning down that voice and realizing this important truth. I am powerful because I am alive and I have gifts from God that can be used to change lives in the world. I'm going to say that again because it's really important for us to understand and believe this. I am powerful because I am alive and I have gifts from God that can be used to change the lives and the world. Your gifts aren't my gifts, and my gifts aren't your gifts. All of us are gifted in different ways, and so the things that we can do are different. The ways in which we are powerful are different. But all of us, every single one of us, are gifted. Every single one of us are powerful. And we can change lives. And we can change the world. Recognizing that is the first step, and then we have to live into that power and expect great things to happen. To not foolishly expect th great things to happen, but to know that when I do the work that is, I am called to do, that great things will happen. When I go out and I, I put my nose to the grindstone and I work my butt off to make something happen, trust that it is going to happen. Now, does that mean everything always works out perfectly? No, of course not. But it means we believe that great things can happen. And that when we do our best to make a difference, a difference will be made. And that we can change, sometimes maybe not the whole globe. I, you know, I, I love the idea of world peace. And I love the idea of making world peace and seeing that come to fruition. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how we get there. But I know I can go out in the world and I can do something less aggressive. I can be non-reactive to someone who's combative. I can go out and I can do something different. And you know what, that's probably not going to bring global peace, but maybe it brings peace between me and someone else. One of the stories that comes to mind, that came to mind this week as I was thinking about this sermon and this concept of imposter syndrome and how we make a difference was the story of uh, someone named Robbie Novak. And uh, this is from a few years ago. Um, he, at the age of nine, uh, had, uh, well, he had his whole life, as far as I know, uh, this something called a brittle bone disease. And at the age of nine, he'd already had 70 broken bones and 13 surgeries. 
he was somebody that just broke really easily. It didn't take much, and so he spends much of his life in casts because something's always broken. Now, despite being so young and having a condition that placed limitations on his life, he's become someone of notoriety for his wisdom, for his fearlessness, and he's become a voice of inspiration. You may know him by another name he goes by, which is Kid President. <laughs> this nine-year-old started making videos with his brother-in-law because it was fun and it entertained his family. But what ended up coming from that is that they got picked up by Soul Pancake and then it became this huge thing. And millions and millions of people have seen his videos. People are inspired by him. And people have found joy in watching his videos. He even got to meet President Obama. And this kid who probably should be sheltered and overprotected, a kid too young to be taken seriously, because, I mean, seriously, how often do you take a nine-year-old seriously? This kid had a dream. And he realized this dream, that he could make the world a little better. How if we could all just do less bad stuff and just be cool, we can make the world better by spreading hope and joy. Now, like I was just saying, I don't know that this drastically changes the whole calculation of the world and the way it functions, but it changes lives. It gives people hope and inspiration. It gives us something to laugh at when we need to laugh a little. Because if you just sit and watch one of his little videos and he's dancing and it's fun and it, you can't help but smile. And that's a little thing, but it does make a difference. And when we set out to do even bigger things, when we don't let anything hold us back, when we say that God has empowered me, God has given us a power by the Holy Spirit to be different, to make a difference. We are so powerful. God is calling all of us to let go of our imposter syndrome and to see exactly who we have been created to be. To see not only the things that uh, we are not, but to lift up the things that we are and to celebrate exactly who God has created us to be. To take all that we've seen and done up into right now and go into the world and create change. To change our lives and the lives of others. To see the world shaken by the Holy Spirit power that fell on the early church at Pentecost. To be like Peter and boldly step outside of our imposter syndrome and proclaim change in the name of Jesus. Jesus, who lives now and forever and empowers us to be changemakers because we are gifted, we are powerful, and we are being called. Amen.